This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We're back fresh off the plane from South Bend, mm. so we're a little sleep deprived, but we're glad to be here. I usually call it uh, online therapy. We're here for USC fans to help you out, especially after a loss like this, so be sure to put your comments, questions, and concerns wherever you are watching YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. We have a lot to talk about today. USC's 31-16 loss to Notre Dame in South Bend. We'll get into that. Where does the team go from here? Can the team become bowl eligible? Something people are debating at this point in the season. So we'll get into that. As a reminder, you can call us 5124-TUNNEL. Our intern Micah is standing by to screen your calls. We love hearing from you guys. Also, you can tweet at us, hashtag uh, TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. But guys, like I said, we saw it live and in person. I gotta say, I always love covering a game in South Bend. The atmosphere is just great. You love covering a rivalry like that. So at least that in itself was fun. Obviously, covering another loss is not fun for us reporters. But still, uh, we got to cover a game in South Bend. Guys, your thoughts from the weekend? It was cool. Got to hang out with these two. Uh, we had our little motley crew there for the whole weekend. Um, and uh, that was fun. But you get to you know South Bend, what, an hour and a half or so drive from chicago and get there and you know see people out there tailgating it was definitely a good tailgating scene we you know we had a couple drinks out in chicago land on rush street and saw some usc fans and stuff out there i'd say overall not as many usc fans as like you know a typical year uh i'm sure there was places we didn't go to like the navy pier for the um, rally and stuff but you know look you know usc fans always go to this game and uh you know the whole band was there that was cool to see and it's just a great atmosphere. It's weird, too, being in the press box. Usually the television camera is on the side that you're on the press box. It's on the other side. So when we're watching a replay in the in the booth, you're seeing it go for one way. And on TV, it's going the other way. So it's a little bit it's a little bit different. Like, oh, that's kind of weird. But uh, it is a great place to watch a game. The SID staff, and they do an amazing job there. Uh, food constantly going. They brought ice cream up to us in the press box. That I was cool. I hear about that, Ryan. It was so good. You guys should have had some on the field. And it was a little chilly. Uh, but, yeah, it was a... It's it's one of those trips if you're a USC fan and you haven't gone to the USC Notre Dame game in South Bend, you got to go check all the stuff out, the pageantry and the the history and the tradition and all that. And they honor it. They do a good job of honoring it like pregame with videos and stuff talking about the rivalry and doing interviews and things like that. I did some local TV uh in South Bend and you know they talk about the rivalry a lot and stuff. So it's it's a big deal there. Obviously it's a big deal 
for USC. And I felt like this was could have been a turning point um, for the Trojan football team. But it's, you know, they, they played okay. They made a bunch of mistakes. They didn't play great. And uh, just sort of one that, you know, I don't want to say they mailed it in on this one, but it just looks like, eh, it just, it you know, overall it just wasn't a great effort. I, coming out of bye week, you thought they might come out and, like, play like gangbusters. When you fail to score a touchdown until the fourth quarter, it's just like, meh. Yeah, especially when you move the ball down to Notre Dame's 25-yard line, four consecutive drives, and get three points. Oh, that's very Stanford-esque. It's terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. They move the ball very well, obviously, in this game. The first two drives of the game, Notre Dame moved the ball great, moved it down, had a field goal, and they missed a field goal. Um, but then after that, I looked this stat up, USC outgained the Irish 421 to 225 after those two drives. They're down 3 nothing in the game. Or, or excuse me, seven nothing because they excuse me, it was a, they missed a field goal and they scored a touchdown. Now yeah. seven nothing, and after that, USC outgained them by almost two hundred yards, and they lost by fifteen points. Yeah, it's just it's the same things over. I mean, if you guys watch this analysis, Keely and I talked about it. It's the same mistakes over and over. Um, Dante Williams described it as repeat offenders, uh, repeat offenses today mm-hmm. in, in his Sunday conference. But it is it's the same things, you know. And the biggest one is. Well, the biggest one on each side of the ball is red zone efficiency, not being able to put the ball in the back in the end zone. You know, when you get in the, the scoring territory inside the forty yard line, the opposition forty, and then tackling on the defensive side. Yeah, you know yeah. those two things continue to plague them every single game. Now, some people will say it's Graham Harrell's fault, it's Keaton Slovis's fault, it's you know the veterans on the defensive's fault, it's Todd Orlando's fault. You can place the blame on a lot of different people. But it's those two things that are consistently killing USC every single game. Yeah, I think the hardest part is when you look at, like, when Oregon State comes to Coliseum, like, well, they scored the most points they've scored all season. Or Utah, they scored the most points they've scored all season. They won for no- the first time in 100 years. Yeah, Notre Dame. I mean, I you know, I, Pete Sampson does a great job covering Notre Dame for The Athletic, and uh, he tweeted out that USC had given up three 10-plus play drives. I think it was, like, in the first half or early in the second and third quarter. And Notre Dame had eight of them total uh, in the whole season. So coming into that game, four of their drives went at least 70 yards. Um, They had some long drives. And this is not an offense with a pretty bad offensive line that's rotating tackles, rotating quarterbacks. This hasn't been an offense that sustained drives. And they had sustained drives against USC. Now, to USC's credit, they had a couple where they forced a field goal on a long drive or a missed field goal. Uh, And that's helpful. But... They gave up something that this Notre Dame offense wasn't very good at, and that's sustaining long drives. And so those are the kind of things that I have an issue with, Shotgun, when it's like usually there's a team that comes in, they have, they struggle with something. You can't let them do the thing that they struggle with because then that's definitely something that's reflecting on you. In this game, Notre Dame, they had a bye week, they had two weeks, and they looked different than they did two weeks yeah. ago because they decided, you know, let's do the self-scouting. And one of the things Brian Kelly said is we self-scouted and said, Jack Cohn looks better in the two-minute drill. Let's go with more up-tempo. Let's try to get the ball out of his hands quickly. Let him make quick decisions instead of you know dropping back, trying to assess an entire defense. Let's give him quick hitting stuff. And they did that. And that kept USC's pressure off of him. That you know kept them moving the, the ball down the field with the pass as well as the run. Um, whereas they've been so one-dimensional because their quarterback play has been Horrend- not horrendous, but bad this it's year. It's been bad. It's been bad, not horrendous. Um, but it's not been Colorado bad. No. Um, so that, that was something they saw that was an issue, and they said, hey, this will be different. 
Did you guys really notice anything that was drastically different about USC? Besides, the one thing I did notice that USC did different was they just they changed up some of the personnel. Um, they played some of their younger guys a little bit more. But other than that, there was nothing really schematically different, in my opinion, looking out there and seeing them um, that, that was that much different than two weeks ago. Yeah, I thought the team had more energy. and I don't know if that's a bye week type of thing. but I, And we mentioned in instant analysis, at least they fought. You know, they could have, when they had a deficit, they could have just packed it in and gone home, you know, but they actually came back. And I know Shotgun, you tweeted ball game at like the start of the third, but they actually made it a close game. And so I think that's not something we've seen at times from this team. But overall, no, Shotgun, I don't think it was a completely different team. But can you place that expectation on an interim coach who's still trying to get his bearings? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this before, uh, you know, and Keeley was, you know, and I, I think it's true. I mean, there's only so much you can do. Like, you can complain about some of the things Dante Williams said. I didn't like the fact that he said that they ran out of time last night at the press conference. I mean, you didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. Yeah, if the if that's it was, when they finally started playing. Well. If it was an eight quarter <laughs> game, but I mean, Notre Dame kneeled down at the end, like they were like knocking on the door. They were already up two scores, and they were about to punch it in. So they didn't run out of time. It was going the other way. If you, um, you stop at halfway in, in the fourth quarter, when USC could still run the ball, and I think that's the huge difference, and that's the difference between those games where they gave up, mm. because USC was down twenty four to three early in that fourth quarter, and what did they do? They handed the ball off to Keontae Ingram. T- 10 yards, 7 yards, yeah, he, chunk yards. That one drive was all him. Instead of what happened against Oregon State and Utah and Stanford, they said, oh, we've got to throw it now because we're behind. And I even asked that question to Clay McGuire a couple weeks ago was, you know, when is there is there a certain number where you guys suddenly have to throw the ball? Like, is there a certain, you know, you're you're behind by how many scores or whatever with a certain amount of time? And, and that's been the question. I've thought they've gone away from the run way too early in all three of those blowouts. And this time they didn't, and I think that was the difference. I think that's why they were able to play better. I think that's why they didn't play well in the beginning of the game. They came out and threw the ball three straight times and went three and out. I got a question for you guys. Okay. Okay. How many times in USC's played seven games? How many times do you think they've started with a run? How many times do you think they started with a pass? Ooh, uh, just each drive? Like how? No, like, to, to begin first, the game. To start the first game? play, first, oh, first offensive play, play of the game. game. I'm saying like one. I feel like this is a trick question. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think they're mostly passing. So I'd go like, I'd be like six passes, one run. Seven. They have not okay. ran oh, the ball to I begin with. I wanted to say that. And so that's when, that's when you, you have this tendency. And I, I wanted to look back. I got to look back at what last year. What happened the first play of this last game? They got sacked. <laughs> and what happened is Notre Dame dropped, dropped eight. You don't drop eight on the first play of a game because you expect the team's going to run the ball. They're going to throw no. something short. No, USC, all their pass patterns were you know lengthier pass patterns, and that's why Keaton Slovis is trying to go through his progressions, and you have a three-man rush that gets there. One, that's terrible on your that's offensive line. awful. But two, that's the your tendency is you have passed the ball so much early in the game that teams are like, all right, let's just start and drop eight, and we'll see if they actually decide to run the ball. We'll give up a, a chunk, you know, an eight-yard gain on first down, let them get some momentum if, they'll, if they're willing to run the ball, and USC won't. Yeah. I went real quick on the fight thing, though, Keela, you're talking yes. about. It's, I think it's a mixed bag. To me, it looks like sort of a fractured team. There were elements of the team that was still fighting, but you felt like there was other parts that maybe just were like, you know, it, it wasn't like this is co- some cohesive thing. and. Part of it is you do have an interim head coach, and it's a long stretch. I mean, it's not yeah. – when you're an interim head coach for a couple games, you can get everyone fired up. Like, this is a 10-game stretch. You have to be the interim head coach. That's not an easy task. And I do want to give a shout-out. I'm so mad at myself for getting to ask. I got to interview Keaton Slovis after the game. He's getting a lot of social media hate. People are getting on me. Like, how can you think he's good? I'm like, I'm not saying he's great or whatever, but, like, 
I don't think all of this is his fault, like a lot no. of the fans are making. But he made an effort play, and I was going to ask Dante Williams about it tonight, and uh, he actually brought it up before I could even ask him about it. That interception he threw, you know, he's getting hit as he's throwing the ball. He could easily be lying on his back and just kind of watching the play go on. Um, it was a bow. Bo, Bo, no, Bo uh, Bauer, I think, yeah, runs it. at 79 yards. And it could have been 83, but Slovis makes the tackle. Like he's, So he basically ran 80 yards and makes a tackle on this linebacker, saves a touchdown, and saved USC four points because the defense actually held Notre Dame out of there. So we've seen – it's not like the whole team has given up. We, that's an effort play. After a bad, you know, bad play, you throw an interception, you go down and make that. But I don't think we're seeing it sort of consistently. And, uh, and you know, part of that's just going to be it's the leadership model, right? You just have an interim head coach and everything's sort of like haywire right now. Yeah, I just don't – my mentions were full of Keaton Slovis hate. And I just think that fans are zeroing in on that rather than – there's a lot of issues. And I just yes. feel bad for Keaton Slovis because he's just taking the brunt of it. And it's like the head coach was fired. Clearly there are issues – overall everywhere but Shogun, I want to go back to what you were talking about it sounded like Dante Williams was saying that he would have preferred to run more I know you had a comment about that Sunday night in his presser uh what do you have to say yeah he, he said that you know he was asked you know would you like to emphasize a run more or is that something you guys need to do he's like that's what I would like to do uh <laughs> he believes that ball games are you know football games are win one in the trenches and he said you know I feel like we need to do that and that just kind of makes you go Aren't you the head coach now, though? Yeah. And I know under some of it, and like some of the, some of USC's runs versus passes are very much read based. You know, there are they're called RPOs, run pass options, and some of them are run and you know based. If you see, you throw out the screenplay. You know, you throw it out there. The wide receiver they got they've been killing teams getting chunk yardage because teams are playing off. They don't want to get beat deep. They don't want Drake London to jump over somebody. So they're playing off and say, hey, USC, if you can throw it over there and you can go 12, 15 yards down and um, plays down the field and score, then then all right, we'll, we'll, we'll trust that you can't do that consistently. And it's a good gamble. That's a very good gamble. Yeah. What happens? You get third and two and then you get a five-yard penalty. Um, you pick up that first down and then you get down the red zone. You get another penalty. And suddenly you're trying to kick a field goal. And I think that's the one they missed. So – you're just try, you're just counting on USC. They're going to screw it up somehow, and they've consistently <laughs> done that, um, and and not been able to consistently say if you want to play off. All right, we'll run it. We'll get six to eight yards a, a chunk, and then when we need to, we'll hit this screen game, and we'll just you know nickel and dime you to death until you have to come up and play press coverage or you know bring extra guys in the box, and then you hit them deep. And that hasn't been a, been what USC has been able to do recently. No. Given Dante's comments, do you see him stepping in with play calling at all? going forward i mean he said that at the very beginning of his tenure too that he wanted to be a downhill running team that he wanted to run the ball more and i think that usc is slowly moving that way and i think they should because you're seeing that the results that are working so i don't know if it's necessarily dante pushing on the offensive coaches to say hey let's let's run let's run let's run or the offensive coaches are finally realizing like this team plays a lot better when we are more consistent with the run game and Keontae Ingram was was a beast last night. He was great. You know, there yep. weren't always great blocks, but you know, he was able to make some guys miss as well and you know, was did very well there and Darwin Barlow when he was in made some nice plays as well. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. He said he watched tape in that uh Notre Dame's defensive line stunted a lot in the very beginning, so that's why he would just hold on to the ball and just wait. He was like, I'm just waiting for things to clear. And you could see that from our level on the field. It was really interesting in that sense. Um, yeah, he was super patient in that yeah. game. I thought he, he ran the ball really well. 
not only making guys miss, but like like Keely said, being super patient and waiting for things to develop in front of them. Mm-hmm. On the defensive side of the ball, and Chuck and I asked you this on instance, so I'm going to ask it to you, Ryan. We see in practice they do individual tra- tackling drills. That's been an emphasis from Todd Orlando and company from the moment they walked into Heritage Hall. Why are we not seeing what they work on transfer into games? Why are we seeing so many missed tackles? It's tough. I think it starts with the linebacker crew. It's just we you don't hear their names called all that much. It's just not, uh, you know, you're not seeing there's no five-star guys out there that are just making plays all over the field. Uh, you're seeing some good individual efforts, but, um, you know, there's a bunch of missed tackles, I think, from all levels. And uh, it, it just doesn't seem to be the way you've designed this defense, the way it's all been put together. You know, we know that there's some deficiencies at the defensive tackle spot. We know there's not really like that sideline to sideline playmaking linebacker that can erase a lot of mistakes from other places. And I think you kind of put all that stuff together. There's some individual plays that were great. Chris Steele had an amazing uh, interception in that game. I thought he played uh, pretty well. We've seen some good plays by DBs and bad ones. But it just, to me, it's just not working. The fact that you could give up those kind of long drives on a consistent basis you're making mistakes. I asked Dante Williams about that. He said it was, uh, you know, making mistakes on third downs. And it's just the mistake part of it is just you, you don't feel like they're pushing the they're pushing their agenda and they're forcing defenses to do something different. You're sort of like reacting to what's going on uh, to you know, opposing offenses. And they're you're sort of like trying to withstand whatever blows they're dealing towards you. It's just it to me, it's just not working. And when you, when you fire the head coach after game two, I don't think you're going to get some kind of revelation that this is going to get better. Uh, I think it's more challenging. It's probably going to be worse because it's more of a fractured team. It's a, that's, that's just the reality of it. Like you're going to have a fractured team with an interim head coach for two and a half months or whatever. And I think that's where it is right now. And that's not that's not helping this defense. We're seeing some individual plays, but it doesn't look like as a unit, they're just kind of going out there and forcing their agenda on the opposition. Someone, uh, Fatback, asked, uh, can we call 1-800 linebacker? Operators are standing by. <laughs> Transfer portal, baby. I don't know. I guess. Uh, Shotgun, we were talking about this out of the game. What does it do for, I guess, the defensive staff? If We've seen at times the guys are in the right, right place. They're just not making the plays. Is that when you put it on the players? I mean, it's it's on both of them. It's on the coaches, on on the players. Um, I mean, you look at the first touchdown. Coaches call a play. The play doesn't get executed. You know, the Notre Dame throws a ball in towards the back of the end zone. You probably watch and you go, oh, "Man, Xavier and Alfred's got to make a play." The problem is that they were playing drop eight coverage, which is a great play call. Well, when a team is going to throw in the red zone, uh, especially down inside the five yard line, you just put a ton of bodies. It's hard to find a hole. Yeah. And USC did it later, and it worked out for them. After the uh, interception, they you know that defense stopped at the end. But you got ten guys playing zone coverage, and one guy's playing man coverage, and that one guy is supposed to be in that hole where the ball ends up being thrown over. Yeah, and he goes with the receiver and goes across the route. I mean, across the formation. Drake Jackson's also lined up in the wrong place. The coaches are screaming at him. So that's that's one on a player needs to know his assignment, but it's also being able to get the guys out there that know their assignments. So it's on the coaches at the same time. And, you know, I, I think they've had to scale back at times with what they can do because they've got so many young guys and trying to figure out or how much can we give them that can be unique and different from what the opposition has seen on t- film already versus 
if we give them too much, are they going to be out of place all the time and not know their assignment? So there's been times when USC's just not lining up correctly. Yeah, you know they they had to call three defensive timeouts in this game. I asked Dante Williams about that. Yeah. And he said one of them was just they were driving it. We wanted to calm everything down. One of it was a miscommunication as far as lining up, and another one he said was saving time late. But I, I don't remember if that's correct. I don't think that. Yeah, um, I, I think it was earlier in the, in the really second like half there, yeah. but. Three timeouts, and two of those were in the first half. And at the end of the half, you only have one timeout in this two-minute drill. And dominate the eight was what I was told that Graham Harrell tells the offense. You know, dominate the eight. The four minutes before the halftime, the four minutes after. USC got the ball back with 4.07, down 17-3. to Go on a decent drive, pick up a fourth and two, and then you decide to run the ball on first down. Didn't make any sense to me. After you wasted your timeout following a timeout from Notre Dame, so the yeah. clock was already stopped. And then the next play, inexplicably, Keaton Slovis takes off running the ball, and you can't spike it in time to at least get the field goal unit out there. That's on the quarterback. That's on Dante Williams. Dante Williams, I, you know, I, he said, I have a plan in place, and you asked him about that, you know, um, you know, trying to – the inexperience of doing that. And he yeah. said, I've talked with a lot of head coaches. I've got charts and everything. And – it's frustrating to him, he said, when he's got a plan and it doesn't get executed. Yeah, you but, need to save those, especially the second half timeouts. I mean, they were calling them in the first quarter. They're calling them in the third quarter. Like, second half, you have to save those. Like, you when you're can't, behind, especially. They call the, you know, Notre Dame had a first down and you called a, a timeout, you know. Notre Dame had called a timeout and you called a timeout right afterwards. And when you can't score because you have no timeouts left, that's on you. And that, and it's unfortunate. Like, you know, Keeley said, this is a lot to learn. And it's like, there's things that I think are fixable on the defensive side. I think there's are things that were fixable if this was a normal circumstance. It's like you're out to sea on a sailboat and one of your lines breaks and it's really calm and you're like, okay, I can retie this and blah, blah, blah and, and set things up and get going. But they're trying to like retie stuff and there's like seas are going, you know, swells are going up and down. It's raining. And it's a little more, It's I think it's a little more difficult for to fix stuff. I think like if Todd Orlando in a vacuum we probably wouldn't see as bad of a defense performance uh, as we are doing right now. But I think with, you know, Clayhelm being fired, it makes things, you know, that much more difficult to kind of fix midseason. So. I think if you look at this, what has happened in the last year and a half since Todd Orlando was hired, things just have not gone right. No. And no not gone ideal for them. And one of that is, you know, players aren't making plays. But you come in, you got a five-star on the defense line, a five-star at linebacker, and a five-star in the secondary. All right, you're going to lose some of those guys. Okay, well, you get the young guys prepared. They, were, you know, the defensive staff was really trying to work hard on changing the culture of the defense and want to be physical and all those things. Pandemic hits, makes it that more, much more difficult. Now you lose those stars, and you're still trying to get those young guys involved and, and get them up to speed. And I think they're just playing, been playing catch up all season, and haven't been able to do it. Um, and I think it's it's unfortunate. And I don't think that's you know anything that that they can do anything about. It's not necessarily an excuse for for them, but it just hasn't worked for that. Yeah. And it's you know the timing of the pandemic really hurt them because of you know trying to take over and trying to install a new defense and trying to install a culture even more importantly, and and doing so in a makeshift training camp. Yeah, all, all those things. I mean, it's just it, it it was that much more difficult for them, and they were going to have difficulties anyways, especially after losing Marlin, Talanoa, Palier, and. They haven't been able to fill fill those holes. Mm -hmm. Now, going forward, I want to look big picture before we jump into a full queue of callers. Uh, like you mentioned at the top, Shotgun, uh, 
Dante Williams said, you know, there's repeat offenders uh, making repeat offenses. Do you expect changes to come in that sense? Do you expect maybe a starter to get uh, maybe less playing time because of that? I don't know. I mean, we've seen, we saw a lot of different guys early in this game. Um, from Ishmael Shopsher to Jalen Smith getting his first start, Kalen Bullock starting. They started in a 3-2-6 dime defense, so there was, you know, four safeties on the field. But, you know, it's not a, any radical changes. Jalen Smith was in there, but Greg Johnson was out. That was part of the reason why he was in there. Kalen Bullock's a guy, when they go to those packages, he's been in there. Um, I didn't see any, like, you know, ton of new guys get in there. The only the only guys that really hadn't played at all in those type of situations was Prophet Brown got a couple of, of uh, snaps in there as well. So I didn't really see any drastic changes. Now, with, a, you know, with the formations they're going to do and stuff, they're going to change every game based on the opponent, but I – haven't necessarily seen anything drastic that you look at it and say, oh, wow, they've done that because of this necessarily. Ryan, any thoughts there? Uh, no, just real quick on the um, – I got questions pulled up for Facebook and YouTube. If you guys are watching on any of those platforms, try to hit the like button. That would be great. But I will try <laughs> to put questions up for Keeley to put up on the screen when we get through with the calls. But I got them all up and should be uh, – I like to see you guys' questions up on the screen. So I'll try to do that for you guys today. Yeah, Andrew said Drew Brees called out their sloppy play on national TV. Ouch. Yeah, that was a little. Which time? <laughs> he, he called out, especially in Drew Brees, because Drew Brees is one of the best. And especially in, at the end of game situations, end of half situations, he called it out. And you could see on the broadcast how frustrated Dante Williams was. And he said after the game that he wanted a spike on the next to the last play um, when Keaton Slowis ends up running. And, you know, they point out on the broadcast, and I saw it, you know, down there, that Drake London was wide open. Unfortunately, Keaton Slovis was reading the other side of the field when that, which I, I think Drew Brees' point was, why are you not looking at the guy who's, yeah. you know, the future first or second round draft pick that's leading the nation in all these categories? You know, throw it up to him to 25, 30 yard throw. If it goes out of the back of the end zone or if he doesn't catch it, then you bring it the field goal. The you know, the, the, the clock is stopped. Like those type of things, Keaton Slovis has to be better at that. But also, Everyone else has to the be coaches better. Coaches have to do better. You shouldn't have yeah. wasted a timeout. So you had you had exactly. to make a play. If you had a timeout, you could. If you screw up, you can fix it. You mm -hmm. know. And they didn't have the timeout. So yeah, there was. It was just sloppy. It was just. Like, I think he nailed that's, it. That's been the case. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty, let's jump into some callers. I believe the first one up is Tyler from Pennsylvania. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, my my name's Tyler, and I got a question. Um, is there too much bad blood between USC and Lane Kiffin to bring Lane Kiffin back? Hey, Tyler. I don't know if it's bad blood. Uh, Lane Kiffin's really funny, self-deprecating about it. You know, he tweeted out some tarmac jokes and stuff. Uh, I think you're, you're Mike Bone, you're Brandon Sosna, you're running this search. The old USC would probably try to go back and hire Lane. I think you're going to try to do not what the old USC would do. Um, Lane Kiffin actually is a, I mean... He's going to be a legit candidate for bigger jobs again. He's rebuilt his image. I don't think you just want to go back to that, the lane train again. As much, as much fun as that would be, um, that's just something that I don't think they're going to do at this point. I don't, I don't think the old administration would, be, would do that because they're the ones that fired him. Like the people, when you bring back like John Lynch Robinson or something, or yeah. something yeah. like that's because they've had success and they went somewhere else. Not like, oh, you were struggling, we fired him. But this is a new administration. They don't have any connections to Lane. So maybe that becomes a serious candidate for them because they don't 
have any of those previous interactions with them that that they may look at negatively and I think they would get crushed. Like they would get. I don't think they want to hire the next coach, and then they've they've already been crushed for keeping Clay Helton. (laughs) The last thing they want to do is get crushed when they hire somebody. So if they if they trot out Jack Del Rio, there's going to be tomatoes being thrown at Heritage Hall. If you (laughs) if you do Lane Kiffin, like he could be a legit like real candidate, like at LSU and some other places, he might come back to USC and kill it. But I don't think you can really go down that road because they would probably get absolutely crushed. But will they have any mustard bottles? Oh, yeah. <laughs> golf balls. Yeah. yeah, but this new hire is supposed to be like a new era of USC football in that sense and trying to get away from the last couple hires. And you don't do that by hiring the first guy you hired after Pete Carroll. just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. All right, let's go to David from Mississippi. I heard your ranty, David, so no rants, please. What's your question for the team? No, no, it's not. It's not a rant. I, I actually called to defend Slovis. Oh. Uh, I feel so. I feel sorry for him myself. Uh, I remember I, Shotgun had made a comment once. I think it was a couple of years, a couple of years back. Slovis had had improvised on a play, and it turned out to be a pretty. Uh, the results turned out to be pretty good. And then his coach came up to him. Harold came up to him and said, "Oh, you did pretty good then, but don't ever do it again." I guarantee you. If you go back, if Shotgun is good at research, yes. if he goes back and look at Slopes' numbers before that comment and after that comment, I, I believe he will find that that negativity, he never got over it. That's Graham a Harrell affected his play and not, not in a good way. So that comment was, David, uh, yeah. that was the Oregon touchdown to Drake London where Slovis scrambled left, scrambled back right. Um, and found London in the end zone for a touchdown early in that game. And then, obviously, USC ends up losing that game later. Um, but that was – yeah, Graham was like basically said, good job, don't ever do that again um, because he doesn't want him scrambling around there. I think maybe more so than a negative comment from Graham Harrell there is the hits that Keaton Slovis yeah. has yeah. taken, you know, that Utah hit, the concussion there, you know, the hits in the Iowa game. Just some the cumulative effect has made it where he's – less likely to try to get out of the pocket and try to throw something. And, you know, that's part of a maturation of a, of a college quarterback, too, is that sometimes you try to make plays early in your career and you realize, I can't take hits from college players the same way I can t- take them from high school. Because that was one of the things Keeley saw in high school, and he basically carried their team oh, yeah. and took shots <laughs> all the time because they had no offensive line at all. Yeah. Um, and you can do that when, you know, that linebacker is – 180 pounds versus when he's 240 um, and they hit a little bit different. So I think that's, that's part of it with him. I think just taking the hits and stuff. And I think it's just the maturation of him and he's doing some things that people are getting upset about that I think are actually good things. He's holding on the ball too long. He's, He's seeing drop eight coverage a lot, especially against Notre Dame in this game. And that's let me keep the play alive. Let me move out of the pocket and change where the pocket is to try to create a different angle, doing some things like that. Um, that I thought it, during the game while watching it from the sidelines, like, oh, he's, he's holding the ball too long in some of these situations. When I go back and watch the broadcast and seeing some of the spider tape and stuff, not necessarily – it wasn't on him. You know, when they're, when they're dropping eight, you're going to hold the ball longer to try to find a window. you got to be able to block three pass rushers yes. with five offensive linemen and sometimes a running back. Anytime you get pressure when you're dropping eight is an automatic win for the defense. It is a bad beat for the offense anytime 
you're you got five pass protectors and you give up pressure against three rushers. That's that's just unacceptable. Yeah. And that happened a little bit early in the game. And again, if you run the ball against drop eight, you're going to get chunk yardage. They're going to have to come out of drop eight, uh, in, in my opinion. And that's why you know, need to start with that instead of that being the adjustment for USC, in my opinion. Yeah. And David, real, real quick, great question. Uh, I wish I had a whiteboard. We need like some display here. It's, I think it's simpler <laughs> than just a comment. Like, if you picture like the y-axis, the x-axis, and one is uh, you know quarterback production, and the other one is the amount of time spent with USC coaches. It seems to <laughs> it's inversely it goes straight down. Like the longer you get coached, the worse you get. And uh, it happened to Sam Darnold. It happened to Cody. It just seemed to happen to everyone. The longer they're around the USC coaches, they their production seems to diminish. And I, I don't know if it was the broadcaster. Uh, someone was talking about just like if you look at. Keen Slovis's, or maybe it was you guys talking. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but Keen Slovis, um, Someone the way this. he looked as a junior, you would think, um, oh, it might have been uh, the Randy Troy. We were listening to those guys. Like the way he looked as a junior, you'd think, okay, that's the way a freshman looks, but he'll be, by the time he's a junior, he's going to get better. No, he looked the best as a freshman and he's got worse. And I'm not putting that on Keaton Slovis. The gr- regression thing has been real as far as USC quarterbacks go. And sometimes maybe it's the offense. Sometimes it's just the coaching, but it seems like the longer they've been coached up, uh, you know, even like a Matt Fink who comes in just right fresh off the bench, goes crazy against Utah, he gets a week of coaching and then he's terrible against Washington. So I don't know. Just call okay, it a week of defenses game plan yeah. for you. <laughs> I think um, it's the coaching. And I don't think that it's Keaton is playing worse as a junior than he was as a freshman. He didn't get punished as a freshman for a lot of bad throws. I mentioned that during that offseason, you know, there's a lot of hype about him coming back and like Heisman hype already. And I want to try to slow that down a little bit because there were throws he was making that could have been interceptions that were getting dropped or whatever it may be. Um, and he, he, there were some throws that he needed to be better at. He's not making those same type of mistakes. I don't think, you know, he's doing it better now. Maybe he's holding the ball too long and taking sacks instead of being a little bit riskier. Um, and, that that then goes to the coaching. Are you wanting him to take the risk, or do you want him to hold on the ball and try to be, you know, try not to turn the ball over? Because his numbers aren't great as far as touchdown interception ratio, but I, a lot of those interceptions actually, it's not like they're terrible throws. Like when you get hit from behind as you're letting go, and a linebacker right. picks the floating ball or you out hit of the a air guy in the chest, and it bounces up in the air. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. yeah. And he's he's also not getting a ton of touchdowns when they get down the red zone. One because. They suck in the red zone, yeah. but also, you know, they try to throw the ball. They gave a quick screen to Drake London. He gets tackled at the two, then they hand the ball off. And, you know, those quick quick passes or the, you know, pop passes, which they gave to Amon Ross, St. Brown, or some other goes, those can be touchdowns for the quarterback, make those stats look a lot better, or you can give it to the running back. It doesn't matter how you get in because they need to just find a way to get in. Yeah. yeah. That's been yeah. the biggest Anywhere issue. Anywhere you want to do. Thanks, David, for the call. We appreciate it. Love the Southern callers always. Since we're on the topic, I'm actually going to ask you about this shotgun. Uh, holding on to the ball, Keen Slovis on the last play. I know we've gotten questions about this uh, on YouTube, so I'm just going to get into it. I tweeted about how I saw an interaction between Keen Slovis and Dante Williams at the end of the game. It sounded like Dante Williams told him, hey, you held on to the ball too long, and Keen Slovis kind of just like shrugged and was like, I- what can I do in that situation, pretty much? And so I talked to Keen Slovis after the game, and I asked him about that. He essentially confirmed what I saw, and I said, well, do you think... Uh, he was correct. And he was like, well, he thought I held, held on to it too long. And, he, and I was like, well, did you think that? And he was like, well, I got sacked. So, yes. But it was an interesting uh, little back and forth there. But, Chuck, on your rewatch, what did you see on that play? I mean, the problem is is they're on the left uh, hash mark and the pressure comes from the right side. 
So now when he tries to get out, he's got to, he's trying to square his shoulders and throw across his body. Like if he can get out to the right, you've got a much better chance of being able to to get that. But again, that's where a lot of the pressure came from. And I thought Jalen McKenzie played a lot better, especially in the pass protection. They made the quick move there uh, with John Monheim at left tackle, replacing him with Jalen McKenzie. They didn't wait till halftime. It was basically two drives, and they were like, we got to make this change. Um, and Jalen played much better than Jonah did early in that game. So it was it was a good move, but that's what happened. The pressure came from that right side, and he couldn't really go anywhere. And it's a fourth and 22. Mm. You got to let the receivers get downfield. You got to try to square your shoulders and turn and make a, a deep throw, and it just wasn't happening. So on that one particular play, yeah, he, he did get sacked, but that's – I mean, I don't know what else you want the quarterback to do there. If you get a little bit better protection so he can roll it to the right, you got a, a little bit better chance to throw it. Uh, I had a lot more issue with the end-of-half stuff than what happened at the very end of the game. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of questions about the end-of-half stuff and yeah. just, you know – The third down play The third down play was much more on Keaton Slovis on that drive than the fourth down play where he just threw it past the line of scrimmage. And again, I guess he's just trying to make a play at that point. Like, yeah. you know, it's third and 17. You're just trying to do something, trying to find Drake London. But again, he gets flushed to the left and – if you're a pass rush in that type of situation, you want to flush a quarterback to his, you know, to his offhand, so that he has to, you know, be running away from. Um, you can't square his shoulders as easily. So, all right, I'm going to run through some more callers, and then we're going to jump into questions. Thanks to everyone who's commenting and whatnot. Let's go to Brandon from Minnesota. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi guys. Uh, so this could be just me being frustrated with the team, but. I have lost faith in Todd Orlando and Graham Harrell based off the play calls that we've seen and how the team is reacting to them. Do you, uh, do you all, have you all lost faith in them? And do you think the team has? Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. I don't think we're like people of faith when it comes to coordinators of USA, <laughs> the team we cover, but I would say at this point, um, I was pretty bullish on the defense and Todd Orlando coming into this season it hasn't really panned out for sure. Um, the offense has been, I just think it's bad. Like you can't week after week know that you can get yards and not points. You're, there's stuff you're doing wrong. And once you fire your head coach after game two, I think you're sort of abandoning hope that this is going to get fixed. Like I said before, like if it was calm waters and you might be able to fix some things and maybe they win a couple extra games, but you, by firing your head coach for good reason, I'm not saying you shouldn't have, but that's going to disrupt everything for the last 10 games. And so, you know, are the players going to be bought it? Even if you, the, the, if the coordinators make all the right calls, you're not, you might not even get the, the right reaction from the players. So, yeah, I don't think either one of those coordinators are going to be here next year. For people saying, fire Orlando, fire Harold. Like, I think they're both put in, in tougher spots than they signed up to be in, obviously. Well, what's going on? You, your first year's a pandemic or, or whatever, and second year's a or for, you know, uh, Graham Harrell, your second year. But now you're going with an interim head coach. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff that's been going on. But I don't think either one of those guys is going to be back. And I don't think you you gain anything by getting rid of any other assistant coaches at this point. You just have to play out the string, try to play as well as you can, and then let the new head coach fix whatever he can fix because that's there's a lot of stuff to fix. Yeah, I mean, the coordinators, uh, they're not doing well enough. No. I think they would be doing better if they had 2019's roster. 
Probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the, I, I wanted to hope, I, I thought the defense could take a step forward, but I had some major, major worries after the guys they lost. And then, especially when you lost Brandon Peely and Jay Toya yeah. at that nose tackle position, just not having someone in the middle because that just opens things up to teams being able to run on you. Yeah. And we saw it again against Notre Dame at times where whoever was in the middle getting pushed back two yards, not being able to hold the point of attack. And, you know, the running backs were very patient. Kyron Williams was very patient. And he would get two yards. And then wait and see what opened up, and then get you know at least two or three more yards, and sometimes that turns into ten or twelve more yards. But if you can get two yards automatically every time, you're going to be able to run the ball well. And that's something that USC's offensive line at times has done a pretty good job of as well, uh, much better than 2020 or 2019 as far as the running back yards before contact. USC's running backs the last couple of years have been phenomenal as far as yards after contact, getting three or four yards after contact per carry. This year, they're, they're doing that, but not having to do that behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So I, I think there's been a little bit of improvement there. But yeah, I think that this roster is just not as good as the 2019 roster, and you're seeing that in, in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Brandon, for the call. We appreciate it. Let's go to our next caller. I think everyone is familiar with him. It's Dave in Iowa. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yep. Hey, Dave. Awesome. Well, first off, you know, Ryan, I hope you had a wonderful day. You know, maybe today you went golfing or hopefully you go golfing sometime this week. (laughs) And uh, just from last week, you know, me giving a little shit to Ryan, I think I got to even it out a little bit. Keely, I might have to give you a little shit. I That's understand fine. you're annoyed with Dante Williams, and it, and it, I I know I know you're annoyed with Dante Williams and his his way the way he descri- uh he gets back to you on injuries. But I think it's out of respect of the players. I mean, if you were injured, would you really want the entire world to know as soon as possible, or would you want to like let it wait until like you know it's it's okay? But maybe that's just me. But the main thing I wanted to talk was. Um, you know, after this disappointing loss, you know, in terms of some bright spots, it was cool to see. I believe, I uh, I believe it was right. I mean, the the announcer said it, but uh, Jalen Smith getting getting the start right there. I, I guess Nickelback. So it's good good to see that young depth starting to take over in a sense in terms of spots that you know might need, might need a little awakening call kind of deal. But um, with this loss, I mean, what does this mean for recruiting? Because last year and the year before, you know, I thought it was just Oregon and ASU to worry about really. And now, like, noticing Notre Dame's recruiting class this year and this win, I mean, what does this mean for the rivalry, in a sense, is it recruiting as well as just, you know, bragging rights? Love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Thanks, I think Dave. recruiting's pretty much on hold, Dave. Um, you know, what, they picked up a commitment, running back commitment? Nope. No, they're getting close or something. I don't know, whatever. There's, there's not going to be a lot going on uh, as far as recruiting goes. It's just not because you don't have a head coach in place. So... I don't think you can expect much uh, from that until you know you know who the head coach is. Like you might get some fringe stuff happening, 2023, 2024 stuff, but nothing really long term. It's just that's the nature of what this is right now. So yeah, recruiting is you know they're going to continue to recruit, and basically you're keeping seats warm with the recruits. Like hey, I know you're interested, blah blah, blah you know, but. Even if they get a commitment right now, is that commitment going to hold with the new staff? So you don't really know. So you can't really look at that. 
it all depends on when they get a new head coach and how quickly they can assemble the staff, not just the head coach, but also get the staff in and get them out on the road and get them attacking the recruiting to see how quickly they can put together a uh, to put together a class this year. But you know that's something that it's it's on the back burner right now, pretty much. Um, you know they they will still be in attacking it, but how much it actually affects anything is still kind of yeah doesn't really matter. And all the people recruiting. Pretty much, no, they're not going to be back. You know, most of the people recruiting. I mean, there's hope that you can come back. I mean, some of the support staff people that are recruiting. Yeah, for sure. They're going to be around. But, like, if you're, you know, are you Todd Orlando? Are you, like, hitting the recruiting trail hard? You're probably not going to be retained. Now, there's a chance you are, but you just don't. I mean, I I don't think, you know, there's a lot of coaches you would think there's a very high percentage chance that they're not going to be back. But I think part of it is even you're always auditioning for the next job, too. Yeah. So if, if I'm looking at you and, you know, do I look and say, well, he's already given up this year, either on the field or given up on the recruiting. Like, is he going to do that with us? Like, it, maybe he does really well next year and he's about to take another job. Is he just going to give up recruiting for us? Like, you're you're always you got to just you're always putting your best foot forward. Yeah, you're always trying to make an impression. You're always auditioning for something going forward. So, I think that most coaches understand that and they keep fighting for that and try to build those relationships. Because why would you not be trying to build a relationship? Because you may go, you know. Yep. UCLA may be the the team that comes calling, and and we've you know, seen that Johnny Nansen <laughs> or tons Tim of Drevno. former USC coaches over there, yeah, Nancy guys. Marcus Tuiasasopo uh, went over there. So you know, if you've already got a relationship, that makes it a lot easier, right? So why would you why would you be like, nah, I can't talk to you right now because I may get fired after this year? Also, to the defensive staff's credit, I think that like their demeanor and their attitude hasn't changed since the firing. I think that they've still put in the work, or at least it seemed like it from our talking to them. So I wouldn't really question their integrity in that sense. Of no, like, oh, I, we're getting I, fired, and who cares? And I'm not saying I'm yeah, certainly not doing that. I'm sorry. My apologies if that came across that way. As far as like, I feel like they're trying to go out especially on the defensive side they're really trying to go out and, and play well and it's not working obviously i mean they're not playing well um but you know as far as even even if you're if you want to go out and talk to every recruit it's hard to say like yeah come to usc i don't know what you know who's going to be the coach i don't know are you going to be there i don't know like there's there's a lot of i don't knows you would have to answer which it just yeah, makes it tough which is hard yeah for sure um and also dave i'm not like annoyed at dante for his injury like not shadiness, like uh, vagueness. Uh, it's we're at odds naturally because I'm a reporter. He's a head coach, and we ha- want different outcomes. So it's I think it's more of a gamemanship thing, and me being used to Clay Hilton telling us pretty much everything. So there's that. Already a couple more callers, and then we're going to wow, questions. More I callers. promise. Okay. I know. I know. It's heavy call day today. Let's go to Tim from Seal Beach. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Um, one thing I've been, it's been a theme all season, and, I, and I've heard you guys talking about it many times, is they, they just cannot score in, in the red zone. You know, we were there a couple of times, came back empty, and correct my math, but if Epps catches that ball, and then we kick the PAT, uh, and where they missed earlier when missed it, aren't we tied late in the fourth quarter? Yes, I know the defense folded, but at that point, so my question is, is what are they going to do? Can they get Manjack involved? What do they actually have to do in order to, um, to score because it's going to be a long time. Usually, is around the corner too. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Hey, Tim. Thanks. Hope you go check out Spagatini. Go down there in Seal Beach. That's a great little uh, happy hour spot. <laughs> Call to, in and get some recommendations. Yeah, as well. I used to work. Uh, I worked across the street from there. It was a great, great place to go. Um, I don't think it's a personnel thing. I don't think like oh, if you put Joseph Manjack in, now they're going to score. It's more of a. I think it's more of like a philosophy. It's just a more of the way they attack things and. 
you know, like Shotgun was saying, like they they started to figure out late in the game they could run the football. Like, why weren't you doing? If they're the first play is drop eight, you should have been running the football and drive one. You know, um, and I feel like they figured that out sort of later. And you had that Keontae Ingram drive. I think it was in the fourth quarter, and then he ran the ball over place, and that was great. Well, why didn't you do that early in the game? To me, it's more about what you're doing as a a coaching staff. Uh, from preparation, everything, and, and some of this is just not fixable because, like we talked about, all those are reasons with uh, firing the head coach. But I don't think it's oh, you put Joseph Manjack in, and now you're going to be scoring in the red zone. It, and it's not just the red zone; it's like like Shotgun said, getting to the 25, getting to the 30 or so, and then just not being able to get those final 20, 30 yards and get the pay dirt. But part of it is they need playmakers. Uh, I said this to Keely after the game. You know, I said, who on this team? Who makes plays on this team? Who makes big plays that's not a four- or five-star recruit? They haven't recruited as well recently. They're missing out on some playmakers. They have more They have more consistency guys. That's what your three-star guys are supposed to be. You need some three-star guys. You need those, you know, the grinders. You need guys that are going to consistently be there and do their job. But you also need some playmakers. Pete Carroll's teams were built around having a ton of playmakers with some consistency guys in there, the, the glue guys. USC right now is more built around having a bunch of consistency guys with one or two playmakers. Yeah. You know, the only guy that really I can think of off the top of my head that is a playmaker that's made some big game-changing type of plays that was a three-star is Tuli Tuli Pelotu. And maybe he was underrated coming out of high school. I think we kind of feel that way with him. But other than that, like, is there anyone out there that you go, wow, that guy just makes all the plays. He was just completely disregarded, you know, as far as his ranking. Keaton Slovis has a three-star, maybe, if you want to throw that. But I know you fans probably – that's not your opinion of him. But Like a Chen and Wusu, like someone yeah, like that. It was yeah. like a three-star and, and did well. But there, there's very few of those on USC's team. And, you know, if you watch, you know, if you can see the when they show the, you know, the, the spider cam view or the all-22 view, there's just not a lot of guys getting open. Yeah. You know, now maybe that's just a play calling. And I would say that more if Drake London wasn't still getting open. And, you know, I, I don't think that he's the, – the play's only designed for him to get open and everyone else, oh, you're supposed to occupy somebody. Yeah. No. Um, you know, it feels like he's able to get open on most every play and other guys aren't when he's when he's got single coverage. Now, he's getting bracket coverage at times. You know, the interception, he gets bracket coverage on the left. Malcolm Epps is open down the middle, tenth more of a second. There's a throw, and if the throw is, you know, put in the right place, it could be a touchdown. Yeah. But – Pressure from behind, gets hit. Suddenly, it's interception going the other way. So, that's the difference right now for USC. And the the other side of the field, the two receivers were not open at all. So, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Anthony Moreo Moreiro on uh, Facebook. He's big, big Keaton Slovis fan. It seems like I'm not, I'm not reading all of his comments, but he's making a lot of comments about Keaton Slovis. Seems to really like Keaton. So uh, that seems go, sarcastic. Anthony. Very Ryan. much so. Yes. My goodness. <laughs> Thank you for the call, Tim. We appreciate it. First time caller. Love them. Thanks, Tim. Uh, I think we have another first-time caller on the line. It's Wayne from Vegas. Vegas, baby. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Yeah, uh, thank you, guys. Uh, I'm a first-time caller, but I do want to say the three of you do the best job on USC football. So I compliment all three of you. Thank you. And mm -hmm. here's my question for you. Right now, SC has to get the head coaching hire right after the, the debacle of the last three coaches. What if they can't find their guy and one Mr. Pete Carroll is gone after this year? I think that could happen in Seattle. Would they possibly go back to Pete Carroll and maybe hire him as head coach? Uh, no. So I think, I mean, he's already the oldest coach in the NFL. And uh, 
yeah, he, he was asked about this. Um, no interest there. I don't think he's in danger of losing his job this year. I mean, the quarterback goes down. Uh, it's tough. They're a tough division. You know, the Rams and Cardinals are like absolutely crushing it. But uh, no, I don't think that's going to be an option. Same reasons why you wouldn't hire Lane Kiffin. Like you're not going to go back to do the things that you have to fix what your predecessors did so you don't do what they did. And I think that would be doing what they did. Ryan, I have two hot takes for you on this topic. Okay. One, if Pete Carroll came back, do you think he would live up to even his own like era? Because I feel like no. people's expectations are so high. It's way too high. Yeah, no, yeah. he wouldn't do that. Second, this is just in light of uh, who USC just played. Do you think in the era of the boards and everything like that, if the Bush push happened <laughs> in 2021, do you think people would think it was as amazing as it was or be mad that USC was in that situation to begin with where they needed a Bush push? Because well, I feel like it would be the latter. <laughs> well, it depends. If you're like, you need the Bush push happens and like, yes, USC is bowl eligible, then yeah, they'd probably be upset. Uh, no, if she's they, saying the exact same situation. Were there like a 34-game win streak on the line yeah. or whatever? Then, yes, they would still be happy about it. Like you're trying Are to you like, sure? They've been I, like fourth and nine to this Notre Dame team? Really? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Shaka. Yeah, they were, still, they were a ranked team then, I believe. I think people would just be very salty about it and wouldn't be as like, oh. But you have to change your mindset to like, if USC had just won their last, at that time it was like 20-something games, whatever it was. Uh, but that was in the middle of a 34-game win, win streak. So like, that means they would have been undefeated like the year before. So yeah, I don't think they would be like, pissed off that uh, USC needed a uh, push push. I feel like we're in a different era. Uh, maybe. How um, pissed off are the Clemson fans these days? True. That's true, yeah. I mean, fans, put your comments, your opinions on that. I'm curious what you think. <laughs> Alrighty, one last caller and then we're jumping into questions. Wow, it's Mike from Silver Lake. Hello, you are live on television. Hello, how are you? Uh, this is Mike from Silver Lake calling. Um, um, I called last time. I was a Notre Dame fan, but I still th I think you guys are, are, are terrific and are pretty balanced and stuff. Now that, now that the Notre Dame game is over, my question is, don't you think the next big concern is who's going to be the next coach? And I wonder if anybody has considered, I know they talk about Luke Finkel and Franklin from Penn State, but they ever considered Dave Clawson from Wake Forest. He's the one that really built up a a, a, uh, a taken a private school and made them very competitive, taken them, had some problems, have uh, produced some great players and now are, is undefeated and is looking looking very well. And wouldn't Dave Clawson be the type of character, good character, that would really change the whole culture at, uh, at, at Southern Cal? What do you think? Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think it's taken him a while to build it up there. I don't know a ton about uh, Klaus in there, but he's, I mean, obviously they're, they look like the best team in the, in the ACC, uh, right now. I think he's turned down other opportunities before in the past culture. I'm not sure it was a great fit. I mean, they had that, someone that was of great character in Clay Helton and that wasn't really, uh, that didn't really work out. I don't think they were wanting for that. They're wanting for, he wins a little bit more than Clay Helton. Though. He definitely wins more than he's a better coach than Clay Helton for sure. Um, it, to me, that might be like a on like a tier three sort of thing if you get turned down quite a bit. But uh, he, I mean, he could probably kill it at a bigger program. But um, I yeah. I view him in similarly as James Franklin at Vanderbilt. You're winning in a place that traditionally does not win at all. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they're undefeated right now and they're the ACC favorite, and if they don't f up, they could be in the playoff this year. Now, will they? That's that's a whole another story. Um, playing Pitt, I think that could could uh, trip them up. But their offense is unique. It's I think very fun offense. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, if you watched any of that Army game, they scored. They <laughs> they uh, they scored 
as many times as they had possessions. So they had 10 possessions. They had 10 touchdowns in that game. One yeah. of them was a pick six, but you know they scored on nine of their 10 possessions. Yeah. So um, you know it's a fun offense. It's a slow read option offense, which is kind of unique. Yeah. Already I lied. We have one more caller in the queue. I like having a clean queue before we jump into questions. <laughs> so we're going for that. Uh, it's Mitchell from Utah. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you? Good. How are you? Doing good. Um, so obviously the season is a dumpster fire. I think it's nobody cares anymore. We need to pick a head coach. What are your guys' thoughts on probably the most viable candidates in Franklin, Fickle, and Campbell? Who can create and assemble the best staff and win the quickest? Um, personally, I'm kind of in like the Fickle camp, but what do y'all think? Thanks, Mitchell. I think those are all great choices. And I feel like um, I just have more confidence in what the administration is going to do, that they're going to vet these guys. And there might be a certain order. And maybe they like Franklin more than Fickle or Campbell more than Franklin or whatever it is. Like they're, they're, they're going to have reasons behind why. And there'll be I think there'll be good reasons and things that maybe we haven't even thought about. And, you know, maybe Fickle ends up being number one, but it's just too hard to get them out of Ohio. So they go to Franklin who's number two or whatever, you know, or whoever else they have on their list. I just feel fairly confident that they're going to be making choices for like the right reasons, not for like political reasons or not because this guy can do this. Or that. It's just, it's more about who's going to get this program to be better. And, you know, they're smart people. They get paid a lot of money. They should know more than us um, on what's going on here. And I, I, for the first time in a long time, I feel pretty confident that they do, that they know there's stuff that they know and they'll be behind the reasons that maybe things that we haven't even thought of. And that afterwards will come out like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, where, before when USC would hire somebody like that doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't feel like, I don't think you're going to do that the next time uh, the next, when the hires announced. Alrighty. That clears out the queue. So, uh, not someone just called, sorry, James from Boulder. We're going to have to wait on you. we got to jump into some questions because yeah, we have probably, a lot. We'll probably rapid fire. on my Yeah, team. definitely rapid fire. Speaking of what we were just talking about, T Mac junior said, when do you think Mike Bone will make the head coaching announcement? Uh, he told me he's going to do it tomorrow, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. For all purposes shotgun is joking i did say hello to him at the game that's gonna be yeah. clipped and then did not weird. did not tell me that was gonna be tomorrow unfortunately said hi gave a little fist bump i'm like james franklin he's he wouldn't answer no he, i mean he's just <laughs> but uh yeah see you're you're pining for some other coach i'm asking for me to get the paycheck oh yeah oh uh, he did brandon sauce did come to our tailgate and tell everyone that everyone's a candidate so you're all a candidate so <laughs> we could wow. be hired like we the three of us could be on staff wow we, can be, we still do the show if we I'd were like scared. hired I Maybe. Think, what I mean, if we were like USC employees and like we can negotiate? We can't really like talk trash about the team anymore or anything. Okay. We and we cover the team. We don't purposely talk trash. About I know. The team I'm just saying, but like we we say some stuff. Mostly and, you, Keely. You're the kind. Of, we try to be positive. Oh, uh, okay. Keely. Anyway, Alex says even if Keenan Slovis is not at fault, would it help the team to start someone else? You know, I think that before they go to that step. I think that they need to introduce the DART package when he's back healthy yes. and see how that works and how that can maybe invigorate that red zone offense. Maybe that's what's missing. Um, but before I would say that he needs to start, because I know a lot of people fans say that, I, I always try to point back that what did Keaton Slovis do against Washington State last year? He put up better numbers than Jackson Dart. And some people said, well, Jackson Dart spread the ball around more to Washington State. Keaton Slovis spread the ball around last year against Washington State, too. They're, they're just not a good team, and it's not a good matchup against USC. Um, now, 
if Jackson Dart needs to be thrown in, USC's offense just isn't moving the ball at all, which hasn't really happened this year. They've moved the ball. They just haven't finished. But if there's a, a game where they just three and out, three and out, three and out, and they say, we need a spark, and they put Jackson Dart in, and he plays better than Keaton Slovis, then that's when you start looking at that. And I think that's very similar to what Oklahoma did. Oklahoma went with Spencer Rowler, went with him. We're going to use Caleb Williams a little bit. We need him in this game to beat Texas, and it turns out that he's a playmaker, and they went with it. I think that I think that's the progression rather than just trying to throw in a freshman and saying, you know, let's change it up differently there. Kaylee, real quick, do you have the question up still? Can you read it again? Or if you don't have it up, don't worry about it. No, the, no, no, the previous question. It was, if even if Keaton Slovis is not at fault, would it help the team to start someone else? Okay, I love that. Who's, who sent that one in? Or do you Alex. Know, Al- Alex, that. I think this is a great way to put it. I hate the, the Keaton Slovis hate and stuff coming on, and yeah. he's terrible, blah, blah, blah. Even if he's not at fault, I like that because that's a real question where, yes, I, you can't blame this offense on Keaton Slovis, but... If you put Jackson Dart in and just his mobility, he's able to like, you know, fix some of the deficiencies, just like we saw with Sam Darnold with do, do stuff with his legs. And the season you're punting on the season because they're three and four, you're not going to make the Pac-12 championship game and all that. You you could see a situation where Keen Silvers gets benched, and it's not his fault. It's not like he was playing terribly, but you just need something different. You just need a spark. And I I like the way that Alex put that one. So I just want to call that out. How much should the failures? "Quote unquote" of this scheme be put on Keaton Slovis's shoulders, you know, because we've seen that there are red zone issues from year to year. How much? Like, I just feel like it's a little bit unfair for all that to go on to Keen Slovis because obviously a mobile quarterback is going to open up some things uh, in any type of scheme. Do you feel like it's unfair for kind of the problems of maybe Graham Harrell's modified air raid to be put on Keen Slovis? I mean, I do, which is why I think that Slovis, you know, has earned the right and is playing well enough that. You don't bench him unless you're really struggling in a game. Um, but I do think that you can implement that dart package, and I think it would be something that would add to this offense, yes. particularly in the red zone. Um, we, we talked about last year. They've got to fix third and shorts. They've got to fix these short yard situations. They've been really good at that this year. If they can fix the red zone things, the offense still has the ability to take it to another gear, and I think maybe that's the difference maker in, in, in you know some of those t- different packages that you could put in with him. Bobby Q says, does USC's offense work in practice? And if it does, is it the offense or the defense? I'm confused. This is hard to really yeah. – it's always hard to assess when you're looking at both the offense and defense. Like, you know, is this defense working versus this offense? Are they doing scout team stuff? Um, you know, in practice, we're seeing mo- – we don't see a lot of competition periods after fall practice ends. You know, it's more – preparing for the opponent that you're having coming up, scout team, that type of stuff. So, you know, USC's offense is actually going against Notre Dame's defense or Arizona's defense. It's just with scout team players. Yeah, I'm sure – I'm not a huge fan of what I've been seeing with the scout team stuff. Just It just seems like it's too walk-through-y. And uh, I don't think they're getting the best looks, at least offensively. But that, you know, again, that's that's just from – our. we can see that one day a week, basically. And that's just from what I've seen. I've just not been – I'm not some super expert in that. That might be exactly what you want to be doing, but I just don't get the impression that like this is really helping the offense get all that ready. Dan on YouTube wanted to know how did Ishmael Sopcher play? He did make his Trojan debut in Notre Dame or against Notre Dame. He said, "What did he grade out at at on PFF?" Uh, I'm not sure of the grades, and I, I don't usually put those out um, on our site until after they've redone it because they do an early and they go back and do a regrading of it. So I wait until the second one comes out. He's probably in the middle somewhere. He only played seven snaps, didn't do anything spectacular. But the biggest thing is that he's a big body. He's hard to move. They had to double team him to move him out of the way. 
He was around a couple of plays, so I think that's positive. Dante Williams said, you know, that he had to get an IV though, which yeah. which is a little bit concerning. Um, you know, the fact that that's one of the big questions for him has been conditioning and you know trying to get back from. And Dante Williams said he had four surgeries uh, on the compartment leg syndrome issues that he had during the spring, so that's. Four surgeries yeah, a lot. I thought there was a two, but yeah, that's um, crazy. We, we knew he had surgery on both legs. Didn't realize there was four surgeries, but you know that's the big thing for him is he's going to be continuing to uh, build up that conditioning so that he can be you know can he go from seven this game to fifteen next game and then twenty five and then thirty. Uh, if he can do that, then he becomes a much bigger part of the defense. But he was in there and he did did fine. Didn't you know he wasn't you know out of place or anything as far as what I noticed. Brandon on YouTube or excuse me, Facebook said, "Is Vivai Malapai third on the depth chart now?" Yes, he he's third on the depth chart as far as the overall running back depth chart. He's first in third and long situations. He's their guy that they can use out of the backfield to catch a pass if they need, or to be in there because he's the best pass blocker. Um, he also wanted to know: Should USC hire an offensive-minded coach or a defensive-minded head coach? Doesn't matter. You hire the best coach. Does it, you don't you don't pigeonhole like say hey we're going to hire a defensive guy or an offensive guy you hire the best head coach and whatever he is he is a lot of people think that you should flip you know whatever the last guy was you should probably flip to the next guy but Clay Helton really wasn't much of any either one of them he was just the CEO for the last four yeah. or five years so. don't restrict yourself don't say well you hire this coach but keep these guys or hire this coach yeah. only a defensive guy or only an NFL guy no just hire the best coach just the best coach for your job. Kenneth on YouTube wanted to know, is the defensive line to blame for the poor run defense? I feel like they haven't been that bad with no true nose tackle, and more of the issues are, are on poor tackling and filling the lanes in the second level of the defense. Both. I mean, that's that's any team sport. It's not just an individual's fault, usually. Um, they could get more penetration and pressure, and if you can get more penetration with a nose tackle, like the, the play I pointed out last week against Utah, you know, where Stanley Tafu pushes somebody two yards back, then now Raymond Scott has a lane to run through. That would help, but the linebacker play has just not been up to snuff. Yeah. And then the safeties as well, the tackling and that that interior in the box has, has really struggled. Coley wanted to know, moving forward, which is the most important game of the three for USC, Arizona, UCLA, or a potential bowl game? Bowl game doesn't matter. Uh, UCLA for sure. Arizona's like whatever, like. I mean, if you're the one to give Arizona a win, I feel like that's kind of... No, the only way that's important is if you lose, because then they haven't won in like two and a half years or whatever. So, yeah. Um, we got a question. I pulled up a question. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> no, get mine. Get my question. Well, you know, she's got a lot working on. She doesn't Brand, know what to do. Brandon says, do you think they have interviewed any legit candidates so far? Yeah, oh, what do you guys I think about this? Think so. Yeah, I think yeah. they've talked to people for sure. They've done a good job of keeping things quiet, so that's good, which is not easy once you're bringing it outside people. I mean, it's been rumored that LSU was talking to James Franklin, at least having some discussions after week two. So don't be surprised if USC, which has had an opening since week two, has been having some discussions with some head coaches. Yeah. Now, it's all back-channel stuff. It's not like, I don't know if they've had any formal interviews, hey, come sit down and let's talk type of thing, but... A Dog's Life in Portland said, who do you think USC will beat to get to 6-6? Six and six? Cal and Arizona. Are the ones we think are guarantees. R oh, I don't know about there's, no, there's no guarantee with USC right now. Cal looked pretty good last week um, where they beat Colorado, I believe. Uh, then after that, you know, I mean, anyone's beatable. Like, you could beat BYU, you can beat UCLA. BYU's ranked again. Um, they, they snuck into the AP poll. They're 6-2. and two. They got a 
win over Washington State on the road. So the CFP rankings come out this week. Uh, November. I think it's November. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Whoa. I'm concerned about the CFP rankings. Not that with we this, need to know about that. I was just <laughs> um, Looking at it, BYU and UCLA both run the ball and run the ball downhill. Arizona State wants to do that, but I don't think they're as good. So that would be the third team, I would think. Notre Dame was my pick, but yeah, people are giving you crap for not getting that one right. But it's like you know, who is? No one's giving me crap for that. Oh, they were, I saw people. <laughs> no, you didn't. I mean, <laughs> Ryan just makes stuff up occasionally. No, like, no, no. Oh, those people. I saw that. Uh, A.K. Boone says, is there anything you think USC needs to change immediately that could possibly change the morale slash projection of the current season? Scoring in the red zone. <laughs> yeah, you know. Everyone's a, much happier when you score points. Seems about right. Yes, <laughs> that is the goal. And I and I, I, I wanted to ask Chris Steele about this, too. We got kind of got cut off at the end but when I interviewed him after the game. But if the offense doesn't score a touchdown until – the fourth quarter, it's sort of like it's hard for the defense to keep going. You know, it's you you need to kind of work off each other. So if USC was punching some some touchdowns in or score at the end of the first half or score at the beginning of the second half, I think it helps the defense a lot. So I think you're right. Like if you do that, you score in red zone instead of just getting yards. Like just it's empty calories, right? That's what uh, Alicia says. It's empty calories. Um, you got to score points, and they just haven't done that. You do that, you probably fix some things on the entire team, defensive and special teams too. Harold Tate want to know who has been the best defensive player this year. The most consistent has been Tulu Tulu Pelotu. Yeah. Um, but the most impactful has been Drake Jackson. But he said best. So. Well, that's why I can split it into two. <laughs> you can't. I just did, lady. <laughs> lady, my goodness. Uh, Alex said, what is the process of hiring a new coach? How many interviews? Who interviews? How is the offer made? And how long does a coach have time to accept or reject USC's offer? Uh. It depends. How's that? <laughs> like, those are all, like, there's not, like, a playbook. Like, um, James Franklin, you have offered the job. You have 48 hours to respond. Like, if he says, I need a week or I need to tell the end, like, and you really want him, you say, okay. If not, then you don't. So, I think that's all depends. Yeah, it all depends on leverage. If yeah. it's a, you know, if it's a mid-major coach or something, you You're can like, push harder and be like, right. hey, we need a decision by the end of the week. We need you to come and you know, take over now instead of finishing out your regular season or whatever. If it's Davos Sweeney, you bend over backwards and do if whatever. It's Nick Saban. If it's Nick Saban, yeah, yeah. Say whenever you want to come, coach. Whatever you want. Here we go. <laughs> With that tone? Sure. Checking. Anthony on Facebook said, do you, th do you guys think the LSU situation will force Bone to speed up his coaching hire? No, so I think Mike Bone had a head start on LSU for sure, but like Shotgun mentioned, um, Scott Woodward, uh, you know, I think they kind of really realized what they were going to do, the AD at LSU. Um, so I think there were Mike Bowen was thinking about this the day he was hired at USC. So this is not something if you're an athletic director, like this is like your dream situation, like hiring head coach. You've got spreadsheets, you've got analysis. This isn't like, oh, Clay Helton's not a head coach. I wonder who a good head coaching candidate would be. Like this is not new. So I don't feel like it's speeding anything up. Both institutions want to have someone in place as early as possible. There is going to be some crossover with potential candidates. Um, but I don't think it changed the time frame or anything for USC. It might have changed if, if, you're, if you're both zeroed in, like there's stories about both zeroed in on James Franklin. If that's the case, then it could drive up the price or whatever, but I don't think it changes the timeline as much. Shotgun, any thoughts there? I mean, if you're both in the, the market, then you're both going to want to make a hire as soon as you can, so I, I think I agree with that. Ladarius, who's our resident Alabama fan, wanted to know who's in the lead in the Pac-12 South right now. 
Uh, is anyone really in the lead? It's Utah, but is anyone really in the lead? Yeah. You never know. Because they just lost to Oregon State, had a block punt, return for a touchdown. But they have the tiebreaker on Arizona State, and both of them are two and one, three and one. They're something with one loss, and everyone else has more than that. I'm going to take a question and add on to it. AK Boone said, uh, How many points would USC average without Drake London in the offense over under 14 points? And my point is, what does USC's wide receiver group look like next year when you probably lose Drake London? Yeah. Um, I mean, we were pretty bullish on like the talent that USC had. Like, oh, Michael Jackson he looks good. Man, Jack, he looks good. I mean, but we did identify chemistry issues from spring camp. Like, right. that was something where we saw that that was not going as smoothly as it probably could. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This it would not be pretty. Like, this, unfortunately, this USC offense, I mean, for years, they've just relied on the big play and they've had multiple big playmakers, like Shotgun mentioned before. And now you kind of have one. Um, I'm sure other people would kind of develop by force, but right now it's not happening organically. It's basically the Drake London show. You know, he's getting half the targets and that's where USC's bread is buttered. Now they ran the ball a lot better and that was cool to see, but certainly some, there would be a lot of concerns if Drake London was not on the field. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I do want to point out to everyone that says, Keaton Slovis is locking on Drake London. He's throwing to Drake London too often. Drew Brees said on the broadcast, and Drew Brees is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, said, I would throw to him every single time. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. If, I, I try to tell you that Drake London's a good option, and maybe you don't want to believe me, but maybe Drew Brees believe. is a guy you should believe. I don't know. Drew Brees is a Keaton Slovis lover. I'm just kidding. That's what people say about <laughs> He knows Shotgun. Kurt Warner, so they I don't know about that, because he was hanging out talking to Jackson Dart after the game. That's oh, dun-dun-dun. Speaking of what you just said, uh, Shaka, and Michael Ford said, anyone else tired of hearing these guys defend Slovis, lol? The punter is a captain over Slovis. Anyone who's ever played football knows kickers are afterthoughts. Not when they're Australian and they have an awesome accent and they're 30 years old. And if you're underage, they could always, you know, I love this whole defending Slovis stuff. And there was like, there, it's came, this comes, a little rant coming. A little, this comes up. <laughs> like the warning. A little warning. Uh, this would come up like when, it, like, you're defending Clay Helton. If you, it, as long as you're not saying Clay Helton is the Antichrist or if you're not saying Keen Slovis is the worst quarterback ever. You're defending them. Like, we're not saying Keaton Slovis is playing lights out. We're not saying, I mean, I even said, like, you might want to just put in Dart, not because of fault of Slovis, it's because you need to change things up because everything else is wrong. Remember back when JT Daniels was awful, right? He was garbage. He was the worst. And now, like, then Keaton Slovis were like, oh, wait, we should get JT Daniels back. He's like the quarterback of the number one team in the country. It's a lot about, it's not just the quarterback. There's a whole situation going around the quarterback. JT Daniels was in the gumbo. It was awful. Um, this offense is awful right now. And Jackson Dart can fix some things just because he's more mobile, but that's mostly it. Like Shotgun said, it was a terrible Washington State team that doesn't match up well against this offense. That's the one team this offense has looked good in the last two years against. So this is, it's not we're defending Slovis saying he's the greatest. And no, we're just not trashing him like some of the fans are. So that's not defending him. I mean, maybe there's a parts defending, but we're not saying like he's the greatest. Like we're not saying that, but we're just not ready to trash him like some fans are, just because it's a really. To be fair, it's a really easy thing to do. It's a 
Um, it's just a, a short path to your satisfaction of what you want. It's like, slow this is out. If we got rid of him, everything was fixed. Like, no, that yeah. would that yeah. would not be the case. The hilarious part is when people say that we we were mad at JT Daniels and now, you know, like it, the story changes. They thought we were defending JT Daniels and now, you know, all yeah. that stuff. We feel like just... if, if JT Daniels doesn't get hurt against Fresno State, he has a big year in 2019, just like Keen Slovis did. He was know? running the gumbo. Not yeah. great. Also, breaking news, Michael Pittman Jr. just had a fantastic play on Sunday Night Football where he scored a touchdown. Nice. That's why Keeley is not watching our, uh, watching, paying attention to us. She's I, just watching the game over Excuse here. me. We had the receipt shotgun of your eyes. Continue. I didn't see it. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that one of my pet peeves is actually when you place the blame on someone, it's not really their fault. Uh, if you want to give someone the credit, it's not really there for them. I'm okay with that a little bit more, but I, I especially when it's 18 to 22 year old kids and you're blaming them for everything when a lot of the things are not on JT Daniels in 2018 or not on Keaton Slovis this season. A lot of the things are above their pay grade. Yes. Which now they actually have a pay grade. Um, <laughs> but it, it's very similar. Everyone was like, if they just get rid of Clay Hilton, everything will be fine. And we've seen it's not fine. Um, you know, if you just change Keaton Slovis, will everything suddenly be okay? I don't think it will be. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of other issues and starts with running the ball. Just run the ball. <laughs> it's almost like it works. And when they run the ball, things work a lot better. See, would you expect to say that, Sharkin, in 2021, given what we've seen from UC's run game prior? No, but I think that goes back to Clay McGuire has done a pretty good job with what he's been handed. Mm -hmm. Tim said, who does USC miss more, Peely or Brew? We got that one up. You can put that up on the screen. Okie dokie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's your answer, Ryan? I think it's Brew McCoy. Um, I think it's both. It, I mean, I think both <laughs> are important. Even. I mean, that's like we thought, you know, who is the Batman to the Drake London? I mean, who? yeah, who's the Robin to the Drake London Batman? And there just hasn't been one. And I think Brew could have been that guy. And I think it helps all the other receivers if you have your number one, who's the clear number one. But yeah, there's number two who was like emerging last year. Everyone else this year is trying to emerge, you know. And if you had Brew there, someone might come in. I think it was easier for Drake London to sort of like ease his way into this offense uh, in 2019 when you had Michael Pittman, who Keeley was just talking about, and Amon Ross and Brown and Tyler Vaughn. And then he sort of came in and you're like, wow, like he could replace one of those guys. It's, I think it's been harder. Now, if you had a number clear number two there, I think it would help the guys uh, develop below him. And I think the offense works better. So I, I would go with Brew McCoy. Definitely Brandon Peely. Nice. Definitely Brandon Peely. And maybe maybe even Jay Toya over here, the one of those two. Ooh. Um, but they need that stout presence in the interior of their defensive line. I think it's been a gaping hole against some of these run teams, um, much more so than the second receiver. Because we've seen a couple flashes from people, and I think there's enough talent that they should be able to – but they just don't have anybody that has that body type right now. Um, that can play for them. Now, if Sopshire comes back and gets healthier, or if Max Gibbs continues to take strides, then maybe I don't feel as bad about it. But right now, it's definitely the nose tackle. Brian on Facebook said uh, Mike Tomlin's name was floated recently as an SC candidate. Would USC have interest in him if he is available? I would think if you're SC, you would have to have some kind of interest in a Super Bowl winning coach, right? Now, I, I'm definitely one of the in the mindset of get a college head coach. Um, but he's young. Uh, I mean, he's, I think he's younger than Clay Helton. I think, uh, he's like 48 or something like that. Um, uh, has, you know, won a Super Bowl, has been a really long tenure at, you know, with the Steelers and the Steelers don't make a lot of moves. They don't make a lot of changes. Um, 
But if things are getting a little weird, Ben's, you know, uh, Big Ben's going to retire or whatever at some point, and he has some interest in coming to college, I think that would be someone you would have to look at for sure. Just the interview. It might be like, you know, he's just too much of an NFL guy. I don't think he's going to get the college game. Or like, wow, he would really come in and, and do whatever. Like, he'd come in and kill it. So Super Bowl winning coach, I think you would have to at least talk to. He's actually a couple months younger than Clayton. They're both 49 years old. Okay. Look at that. I did say younger. Or a couple months older, sorry. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> My bad. My bad. Okay. Um, it'd be an intriguing name for sure, but yeah. there are always concerns with anyone that doesn't have recent experience in the college. I mean, especially with all the things that are being kind of traversed right now from yeah. NIL with the recruiting and all the different things. So there's always a little trepidation there, but that's why – then it becomes that much more important for the coordinator jobs. Like, no, you can't just bring your coordinators from the NFL. We need people that have college experience that can, and then position coaches and that on and on. So that would be a big thing that would have to be um, attacked as well if they did try to go that way. Okay, a couple more questions for wrapping this one up. Trud and Sean really wanted to know what was said regarding Jackson Dart on the Sunday presser with Dante. Uh, I don't think he said any nothing. Um, he said last night. About, so so yeah. last night he said that Dart was not 100%. He said that he had been clear, but then in warm-ups he was told that he's 80 to 85%. Uh, I don't know if that was from Jackson himself or, or how. But then I talked to a Jackson after the game. He said he was cleared after Wednesday's, Wednesday's practice. So he had the Thursday practice, which is kind of a lighter practice. That was his first full practice. So he has been cleared. He's looking forward to next week, his first full week. And maybe he'll be 100% next week against Arizona. Um, but they, they weren't going to rush him back with him not being 100%. You know, the, Dante Williams said, we got to look at his long-term health. We can't just look at one individual game. All right, let's go to the final question. It's Notre Dame week, so we got to give it to Coley. Yeah, He Coley. said, best thing about your time at Notre Dame, ice cream, light show, something else? So the ice cream in the press box was legit. I like that. I do <laughs> Such love a that, right answer. I love that they bring pizza afterwards. But it was really mm -hmm. cool, like the beginning of the fourth quarter where they bring out their phones. It, it gets dark. But they – similar to like when USC had the night games and they did the dark – The, the light out thing. Start, yeah. The very beginning of the game was cool. Uh, I like that kind of stuff. So, uh, But overall, I mean, it's just – I just love it. It, so it was fun. good, yeah. What did, what did you guys – like, yeah, was it cool on the field? Did you guys uh... – Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, pe okay, first of all, people are so nice there. Like, all the, like, guards and everyone <laughs> chatting up with them. Yeah, I'm on the field afterwards. We come from the press box. You get to come down for the last five minutes. And Keely's like, holy court, like, saying goodbye to all the security guards. And they're all, like, <laughs> they thanking her. I'm like, to me. I was I'm like, saying hi. why do you know everyone on the Notre Dame sideline? Some of them watch us, so it's oh, yeah. nice. The fans are, are smart, yeah. And a lot of, like, uh, Eastern Trojan fans also make the trip. So they were, like, yelling at shotgun and i from the the uh the seats bowels. yeah the it was seats. Funny. so that was fun after so after the game we're, we can do the player interviews and stuff and i think it's just different because usc allows you to interview players where i think other schools not as much it's like in a platform a podium like we're like literally interviewing people phones in people's faces and i heard one of the Notre Dame security guards like man these guys are like leeches like they're all like you know, interviewing players and stuff <laughs> I thought that was kind of that was kind of funny. <laughs> the best one, and I should have said this for the podcast, but when we saw the band walk through before we got into the stadium, one of the S, uh, the Notre Dame fans was like, "Why aren't you playing the fight song?" And then another Notre Dame fan says, "They'll play it a million times. Like, just wait." <laughs> so I thought that was funny too. Um, but I, I don't know, just the pageantry, you know. I think that's the thing, and that's the the shame about USC not being the USC of old. Is like I feel like there's not a lot of 
games where you're like, oh, this is like the fans are really into it. This is a big game. You know, like that was kind of a reminder of like what college football can be and should be is just being in that environment again. So I think that yeah. was really fun for me. And it's, I mean, I like to see all the people make the trip out when you get on the planes. There's a lot of people in USC gear. Um, there's a lot of media out there. I mean, USC sent, there was like eight student journalists that came out for the game. I mean, there's a lot of people of that come Everybody out. wants to experience it. They yeah. want to, yeah. So it's got, it's just a cool experience seeing the whole Trojan marching band come out, uh, you know, and Dan Weber wrote about this, like in his column, like it's hard to send like a little pep band to away games. The fact that USC sends the whole band out there, like all that stuff is makes, makes this game. And I think they perform at halftime as well. They, they do perform at halftime. Allows both, you know, both the schools back and back, back from forth allow both the other band to, to perform, which is kind of unique. Um, First one for Mike Bone, Brendan Sosna, that staff, yeah. their first time yeah. at, uh, at Notre Dame Stadium and that whole trip. So, But the, the answer is actually the best part is the Chicago deep dish before you go. Oh, my goodness. That was so good. <laughs> that was – yeah, that was legit. Like the picture of you like holding the cheese up and everything, I thought that was great. So Wonderful, wonderful. It's a, it's a, fun, it's a fun trip. Uh, we – you know, it's pretty short. Like we like literally got back to our Airbnb at three in the morning and wake up call was five or five thirty AM. So it's if you go to sleep. Yeah. Okay, Shaka. Shaka always wants a gold star for his sleep it, yeah. decoration. That was that no, was tough. The thing this is what's great about college football is the pageantry pageantry like Keely talked about, but that's what big bowl games are about and big non conference games. When you go to play Texas, is like everyone wants to go. Like, oh, I haven't ever been to whatever city. Let's go check it out. It'll be an opportunity to check out the city, you know, get to meet some people. And it's just, you know, and you're tailgating with people. And if you do it right, then you're, you know, intermingling with, with a bunch of other people uh, from the other school as well. You just get to meet new people and learn about them and, you know, their culture and, you know, from their part of the country. And that's what's so fun about college football is it brings everyone together like that. Um, but unfortunately, when your teams aren't really competitive and playing to their best ability. It makes that that much more difficult because then everyone's not in a good mood. If, if when you have like when you go to a national championship game, or you go to a big bowl game, everyone's just super excited before the game. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to go to LSU Alabama uh, national championship game. Won some free tickets. Me and my my best friend are walking around. He is the entire time is just going go Tigers, roll Tide to whoever and throwing <laughs> high fives. He had he had to have thrown because it was in New Orleans, so we're on Bourbon Street the night before. He had to have thrown like eight hundred high fives. <laughs> I am not even kidding. But everyone's just having a good time, and that's also New Orleans as well. But pre pandemic, right? Yeah, pre pandemic. <laughs> but uh, you know that's that's what's so great about college football is it brings you know it brings a hundred thousand people together or more because people will just stay out and tailgate or whatever. Um, but it just for a common thing, and you know when everyone's playing better. It makes everyone that much more excited about it. And unfortunately for USC fans, it hasn't been the case for a little while yeah. since that Rose Bowl season. Well, speaking of happy fans, Chuck, and you've gotten multiple congratulations. Braves in the World Series. Congrats, congrats, congrats. We'll you had nothing to do with it, but congrats. Yeah, I did my part uh, going. Yeah, like a Brave to... jacket on and Notre Dame Stadium uh, and stuff. It's my sweater. Or sweater. Brave sweater, yeah. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. I'm wrapping this up at this point. We'll be back on Thursday to preview USC's matchup against Arizona. So stay tuned for that. But that's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love talking to you guys. We'll see you on Thursday. Bye.